You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, Hunting, Shooting and Fishing Radio, and this is episode 28, Coalition Against Duck Shooting's Integrity with CEO of Field and Game, Rod Drew. Pleasure to have you back with us again for episode 28. On today's show, I've got CEO of Field and Game, Rod Drew, on my show for the second time. Now, a lot of people uh, may not have listened to episode 21 with Laurie Levy, the head of Coalition Against Duck Shooting, who opposed the shooting uh, of native waterbirds. Now, I got some mixed results with that podcast. Some people said, you know, it was bad. Some people said it was in the middle with some good information. And some people said it was good. Uh, A lot of people misrepresent what I intended to do with that podcast. Now, if you haven't listened to it, it was in May of 2012. And you can go back and listen to episode 21, which is available. Now, the idea that I thought with the show was to get Laurie Levy on the show and say as many things as he possibly could. So at a later date, obviously, I was always planning on doing this podcast with... uh, Rod Drew to debunk a lot of theories that uh, Laurie Levy actually discussed on my show, a lot of things that didn't make sense at the time. But when you're obviously trying to record a podcast, it can be very difficult to think about the questions you're going to ask and then also try and uh, rebut and refute a lot of the things he was saying. I interjected when I needed to, but a lot of people, I guess, thought that I was going to get him on my show and attack him and that just was not, one, it's not my style and number two, that wouldn't have solved anything for both parties. My idea was to get Laurie on the show to say as many things as he possibly could and which he did and a lot of things at the time just didn't make sense and I found a lot of the people that actually didn't know what the podcast was about and the information because they didn't know the truth actually didn't like the podcast but when you go back and listen to it and you do your research there was a myriad of issues in this podcast that Laurie discussed on the show that just did not make sense were out and out lies and basically this is what this show is all about to debunk these theories with CEO of Field and Game Rod Drew so if you haven't listened to it certainly go back and jump on episode 21 with Laurie Levy, the Coalition Against Duck Shooting. Which is just one of those issues was when he said that Russell Mark, the Olympic double trap gold medalist, was not a uh, a duck hunter. Well, in the first three to ten minutes of my episode, I think it was nine in August 2011 with Russell Mark, he hunted ducks as a boy, he hunted ducks with his father, and he even hunts on the same properties that he hunted at back then. So I don't know what Laurie was actually talking about when he said Russell Mark uh, and Michael Diamond. I'm not sure about Mark. Michael Diamond, but he said uh, Russell and Michael were advocates against native water bird shooting. So, I mean, it's, oh, it's it's just absolutely astronomical. So when you hear what Rod has to say on this show, maybe the people that didn't like that podcast will be able to go back and cross-reference a lot of the data that just didn't make sense at all. And people that did know the data actually enjoyed the podcast because they, they saw what I was actually trying to do. And they knew that if you had the information and the truth, you actually enjoyed the podcast because you knew that what he was saying wasn't the truth. So perhaps Perhaps this podcast may alleviate a lot of that, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, don't forget, you can go on the uh, Field and Game website at fga.net.au. Uh, you can also visit our website. It's up and running now. That's the best place to check out the podcast at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Also, too, don't forget to check out our Facebook page. A lot of people, almost, I think there's about eight, 900 on there now, uh, chatting, talking about firearms, posting photos, uh, just interacting with each other, and it's fantastic. So you can check out Australian Hunting Podcast 
podcasts on Facebook. Don't forget Twitter, AH Podcast. Email us at the Australian Hunting Podcast at gmail.com. I'd love from here from you. If you've got people that you want to get on the show, people that I haven't done or haven't even thought about, I'd love to get your ideas. And a uh, few people that I've already gotten on the show is because a lot of you listeners emailing me and uh, I ring them up and get them, you know, write down the questions and get them on the show. So thanks for that. Don't forget iTunes, the best place to download the Australian Hunting Podcast free. Download iTunes off the internet, subscribe to the podcast through the iTunes library. But don't forget, please, if I could beg everyone to rate five stars the podcast and also leave a comment on the iTunes page for the Australian Hunting Podcast. Don't forget to also check out my AussieFeralControl.com.au business website. Please share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family, either through Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, other hunters. Certainly love to get the word out there about the Australian Hunting Podcast. Anyone that wants to advertise or any prize giveaways, get some advertisement on the show, you can certainly email me, AustralianHuntingPodcast at gmail.com. And we are looking for some guest recruiters. So if you want to email me, please email me. We're looking for guest recruiters, you know, people that can just help me out with the show, you know, think of guests, ring them, tell them about what we, what I do, try and arrange a time frame to get them on the show, which would help me out on trying to get these podcasts out as quick as I can. Obviously, it takes. A, I do them monthly, and you know, I would like to get them out fortnightly, but, you know, it's very difficult when everything I have to do, I pretty much have to do myself. So if you want to help out and be a guest recruiter, obviously, it's a non-paying gig. I don't get paid, so therefore, most people wouldn't get paid. But, you know, if you love hunting and shooting, you love what we're doing, I'd love for you to help out. That'd be fantastic. I appreciate all the listeners that have listened to the show, uh, have left comments and feedbacks and emails. It's just absolutely fantastic. I appreciate all you guys. I do, As you know, I do this on my own back. It's not paid. I pay for all the website and all the hosting, and it's a pleasure just to be able to bring you all this content, you know, for 28 episodes over almost the last two years. Uh, I think our first episode went live uh, in February. Uh, February, I'm pretty sure, March. So we're coming up just almost on two years, and, mate, it's been fantastic. I couldn't... The people that I've met, people that I've been able to go hunting with, it's just absolutely magical, and I appreciate every single person that tunes in and uh, contributes in any way they can, either by listening or telling other people about the podcast. But I finally got myself a vehicle, so I'm ready to go. I got myself a little girly Suzuki Vitara, you know, so I'm probably going to turn into a hairdresser. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm going to be able to get out in the field. I'm going to put some tires on it. I'm going to lift it up, and I'm ready to go. So we've got the rice season coming up in early November. So me and a mate are heading down there for a full seven days down on the rice field. So it's going to be an absolute blast. Followed by a goat hunt towards the end of the year, a fishing trip in January. It's all happening for the rest of the year, so I'm really excited. I hope you all enjoy it. This podcast is dedicated to uh, the Coalition Against Duck Shooting, Duck Army, and all those antis that oppose duck hunting. So let's rock this show. Without further ado, let's get into my interview with CEO of Field and Game, Rod Drew. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia, and you're listening to Australian Hunting Podcast. All right, Rod Drew, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleasure to have you on my show, mate, again for the second time. Thanks, Jason. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, so give the listeners, I know we just spoke last time, I think what might have been maybe episode seven or eight. I can't, I should have checked before I came on, but uh, tell us, give us an update for the listeners, what's been happening, say, at Field and Game, I guess, since we last spoke and uh, anything new happening that the listeners should know about. Well, I think uh, at the moment... Uh, it's a great time to be involved in uh, hunting uh, anywhere in Australia. Um, you know, since the drought broke, we've had successful hunting seasons right across the country. Uh, we see across the country that licence numbers are growing. 
Uh, there's more youth uh, experiencing outdoor hunting activities. And, of course, in Victoria, uh, in the last 12 months, we've had the introduction of a fox bounty. That's been very well uh, embraced by hunters, and over 100,000 foxes have now been taken. And, of course, we've had some great news from New South Wales with the uh, hunting in national parks about to occur and also the return of duck and quail hunting. So I think at the moment hunters have a lot to look forward to and a lot to be thankful for from all the shooting organisations who have worked so hard uh, to ensure we have a bright uh, hunting future. Absolutely, absolutely. So how do you think, I know the legislation, uh, there's an, an introduction coming in for minors under the age of 18 uh, to go hunting with a supervised adult. I mean, do you think that will be uh, go through and be implemented in Victoria under uh, see the game of Victoria and the DPI umbrella? Yeah, look, this is, this is a, a positive move. The reality is that juniors have always been able to hunt. Uh, once they get their junior permit, they can then buy a game licence under this new proposal, they can actually buy a game licence. They'll still need their junior firearms permit, but they get their game licence for a period of 12 months without the need to do the WIT test or the deer hunting test. So this allows uh, these young people to go out in a supervised uh, hunting situation uh, basically a try-before-you-buy arrangement. They don't have to actually... Uh, go and do that uh, that uh, yeah, WIT training or deer training. So this allows them to actually get out there with an experienced licensed adult and uh, try it for 12 months. After that, they then, if they want to continue, they then are required to do the training and uh, get their uh, full licence. Yeah, so obviously the supervised adult would you know, sort of basically give them at the start the, you know, the, the training that they would, not the training they would need technically, but they'd give them what they need to know to obviously get them started before they went on to that next step? Oh, look, this is important. I mean, any hunter, you, most hunters you talk to will tell you that their first uh, experience of hunting was usually with their, their father uh, or another um, licensed adult. And whilst uh, we can spend a lot of time on classroom training, there's certainly no substitute uh, for that getting youth out into the field and actually uh, experiencing the uh, activity firsthand. Yeah, good stuff. And I know a lot of the anti-firearms organisations out there, or anti-hunting more so, uh, say, you know, we're going to be blooding children into a blood spot. I mean, obviously we know that's not the case. What sort of things, say, could you know, like uh, miners learn from being out in the field? What are some of the benefits, you'd say, of being out in the field uh, that would obviously help them? Oh, just, just learning uh, bushcraft. You know, I, mean, uh, I mean, when they do their firearm safety training, they're taught about, you know, how to climb over a fence, uh, you know, with a firearm and uh, how not to climb over a fence with a firearm, I should say. But to get out in the field and actually have someone there to show them how to do that, uh, so you're actually getting that practical training. And then to understand how to look for game, you know, and how to look for game sign and how to scout areas. None of this can be taught in a classroom. And there's nothing like having the experience uh, of an adult there who's, who's been doing this for years and knows how the animals behave and the sort of habitats they're likely to be in. All this can be passed on uh, to, to, to a junior firsthand. And, of course... Uh, 
these kids, when they learn in that situation, they're also learning the skills required to be a safer hunter too, and that's so important. Absolutely, and it's all about, again, you know, transferring that culture onto the next generation as well, I think. No, absolutely, and look, this, there's nothing new about this. It's done all over the world. Uh, there's plenty of research that backs up um, you know, how positive this is not just from a safety and a hunting point of view, but it certainly leads these young people to have a much understand, a better understanding of the environment and certainly of uh, um, you know, biodiversity conservation and just understanding how we've got a bigger world out there that, uh, beyond the lounge room. And I think that's important to get kids out there into that bigger world. Exactly. No, you're 100% right. So I did an interview, you might be aware, I did an interview with our friends over there, Laurie Levy and the Coalition Against Dunk Shooting a few months ago. And, you know, I had some, you know, I had some, I had some really positive reviews. I had some, you know, middle reviews and also had some bad reviews. But tell us about, say, uh, Laurie Levy and uh, any issues, say, field and game, as well as Victorian hunters and shooters uh, have come up against, you know, over the years. Well, I think the biggest issue there is that uh, whilst these people have been protesting for a long time, um, they do not take any notice of the law, and this has really become a big issue. We now have government, uh, we have police, we have compliance officers who are very concerned about the activities that these people uh, undertake on the wetlands, uh, particularly on opening weekend. Uh, we have laws in place, human safety laws, and these laws are there to protect all people who use wetlands, but these people continually disregard those laws and continually put themselves and others at risk. Uh, there is no need for people to be around firearms protesting and trying to incite dangerous situations. And this is what these people try to do. And of course, uh, just two years ago, we had a, a tragic accident at Lake Bullock where a woman was injured and you would have thought that would have been a lesson. Uh, but no, these people still continue to harass hunters and create dangerous situations. Now, this is something that um, has become quite serious and is of quite a lot concern uh, to lawmakers in Victoria. So, Rod, Laurie Levy claims duck hunting in Queensland, New South Wales and WA, uh, etc. is gone for good, yet New South Wales are on the cusp of bringing back duck hunting in New South Wales after a 20-year ban. Uh, how good is this for New South Wales shooters and the great work by the uh, Shooters and Fishers Party they've you know, basically worked so hard to get? Oh, look, this is fantastic news. And, look, I've got to say, I always felt that it would come back because uh, the reasons it was taken away originally were very spurious and uh, the government did a uh, review in 2000 which uh, was basically to look at the effect of the ban on duck hunting in New South Wales and this review showed very clearly that there'd been no economic, uh, cultural or environmental benefits to New South Wales by banning duck hunting and in fact the report also showed that uh, many towns, uh, particularly in the Riverina, uh, had suffered economically because of the loss of hunters. So I think all hunters uh, in New South Wales should uh, be really applauding the work of the Shooters and Fishers Party. And, uh, and I think this really does demonstrate 
the value of uh, you know getting behind those politicians in the Shooters and Fishers Party uh, because that's what happened to make this turn around. Absolutely, and sometimes I you know go on a few forums and that, and I you know see a few polls and who people are going to vote for at the next election and. You know, if people are, I know they might, some people might not agree with certain things that the Shooters and Fishers Party do. You know, maybe it's not in line with what you know hunting types they would like. But then I see some people saying they're going to vote Liberal. I'm like, you know, I can't understand. You know, Liberal have been some of the most responsible people for some of the most harshest firearms laws in Australia. And how could you possibly not vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party? It's it's mind-boggling sometimes. Yeah, look, there's good people in all political parties, and there's bad people in all political parties. The great thing about the Shooters and Fishers Party is the name of that party shows who the constituents are. So they are there elected by Shooters and Fishers and that's who they're responsible to. They don't have to answer to a bigger, wider constituency like the major parties do. So that's why their policies and everything is all around uh, representing their members, the Shooters and Fishers, and they do that very well. Absolutely, they do. So Laurie Levy claims, uh, Rod, uh, Victorian duck hunting is coming to an end. What do you, what do you honestly think about that statement, and what can we do uh, to ensure duck hunting for our future generations? Well, Laurie was saying duck hunting would be finished in Victoria in 1990, uh, so he missed the mark there. But look, <laughs> all the major po- uh, parties in Victoria uh, have uh, positive uh, policies towards duck hunting. And uh, there's nothing to suggest that duck hunting in Victoria is coming to an end. In fact, um, the government in Victoria see the value of hunting. They see the environmental benefits from the conservation works that hunters do. Um, But having said that, that's not to say that we can take our foot off the pedal. Um, Every hunter, every fisherman should should get behind their organisations and uh, and support those um, politicians who support their uh, their interests. And uh, like I said before, there's a lot that do support our interests, but there's quite a lot who don't. So um, you know, when your uh, hunting organisation uh, puts out statements, uh, particularly around election time, where they have canvassed all the various parties for their policies, um, it's useful to have a good look at those policies and. Uh, make your decision then about who you vote for. Uh, exactly, you're 100% right. So uh, Laurie also claims uh, duck shooting is a is a barbaric sport, yet on my podcast he supports uh, feral animal hunting and its effects on farmers. I mean, I mean, does that, does that even make sense? How on one hand can you say hunting of a, a certain species or type of animal is barbaric, yet you know, approve of feral animal hunting and its effects on farmers? It doesn't make sense at all. Uh, whether hunters are taking game or ferals, uh, they are required to ensure that they that any suffering is minimised, and all and hunters always aim for a quick and humane kill. Levy's statement seems to indicate support for speciesism. You know, kill the rats and cockroaches, but leave the kangaroos and ducks alone. Um, the question for Laurie is: Does he support duck shooting to protect farmers' livelihoods? Mm, that's a good question. See, on my show, he did say on a number of occasions, he said, you know, and I've been down there, and obviously some areas of the Riverina, probably in, in certain years, might not get touched by ducks yet. The next year, they might be just wiped out. Obviously, it would just depend. 
But on a number of, on a number of occasions, he did a say, say that uh, rice farmers in the River Wiener were overstating their crop damage. Yeah, well, that's outrageous because the Rice Growers Association have actually put out figures uh, on what the uh, cost to growers was last year uh, who had to replant their crops, and it runs into the millions. And, yeah, that's publicly available information. Mm, exactly. Uh, yeah, Laurie, also some outrageous claims from Laurie. Again, that uh, duck hunting ban, or duck hunting in general, is like the black slave trade of the southern United States in the early 1900s. I mean, are they serious when they make claims about human slavery being liking to duck hunting in Victoria? Well, th- this is just the, the language they use. And I mean, for, for people who don't know anything like that, and they, they see this, uh, there might be some people who fall for it. But the reality is that this is just the language they use. Another one he uses uh, quite regularly is that we are the same as the Red Cross and we go into war zones to rescue animals. And uh, they don't rescue animals. Uh, the only birds they ever pick up are birds that are already dead. Um, you ask him how many birds they've rehabilitated uh, or how many birds they've actually released back into the wild. Uh, you won't get an answer for that. I think I did have one answer on the podcast. I think he said one. <laughs> yeah, well, that's not bad over 28 years that he's been doing it. <laughs> I agree, I agree. Um, uh, so, yeah, as I said before, yeah, when we're speaking off air, I agree to the, you know, the right for people to protest. And I think most people, we live in a free country, we should be able to protest. But being in the water, waving flags... Yeah, you know, blowing whistles in yellow or you know blaze orange, uh, you know, uh, clothing. Yeah, you know, do you think you know by doing that and being close to hunters? I mean, obviously hunters are out there just doing their thing, going about their lawful activities. Now, obviously, I believe they're out there to yeah, you know, protesters are out there to incite violence. I mean, do you agree with that statement? Oh, look, they are out there to in- incite violence, and. Uh... I mean, uh, I was uh, at Lake Bullock when that tra- tragic av- accident happened. And, uh, you know, that woman was taken from the water. She was clearly in shock. Um, but, you know, their first priority was to get the cameras in place and uh, spend quite a bit of time, you know, getting photos and so forth, uh, which we've all seen. And then after that, someone decided to organise some, uh, you know, some medical care. But... But, I mean, uh, it was just, you know, you could even, there's even photos of some of the protesters smiling, you know, after that. It was, it was oh, you know, we've struck gold here. But the reality was a lady had been um, been seriously injured. And uh, even though she was in an area where she shouldn't have been, she'd, she'd broken law, the law to be where she was. Um, the reality is she needed uh, medical attention, but that didn't seem to be the priority at the time. Yeah, and what's it going to take, honestly? Uh, as I said, I don't mind people protesting. I've not, you know, I think free speech is a great thing, and we, you know, we support hunting and shooting. But you know, is it, is it honestly going to take someone dying and being killed? You know, someone that's a mother, a father, a, a daughter, a son, you know, being killed before these people maybe wake up? Or do you think maybe possibly even even I've thought this? You know, they don't give a damn if someone happened to die. That would just more and more help their cause in the media. Yeah, look. Um I just think that uh, they they don't seem to to care. Whatever it takes seems to be the uh, the, the message. Whatever it takes, um, and that's that's why we've really got a problem here. Because 
Yeah, every weekend people go to uh, rifle ranges and clay target shooting ranges and no one is allowed out onto a range while shooting activity's taking place uh, and people respect that law. But it seems that when it's in the wetlands in a duck hunting situation, uh, these people seem to be allowed to get away with it. And you're not allowed to run onto the SCG you know, when the when the rugby's being played. You know, you're not allowed to run onto Randwick Racecourse when there's a horse race on. There's quite serious fines for this type of protest. But it doesn't seem to be the same when it's in the hunting scenario, and that's something where we're really concerned that the the judiciary doesn't seem to place the same level of importance on it when it's hunting. Yeah, I think they should, though, and they really should, because, you know, heaven forbid, and I, I'm sure you obviously would agree with this, we heaven forbid someone, either, you know, hunter or, or protest, happen to be killed, you know, either doing the wrong thing or not doing the wrong thing. That would just be terrible. It's really concerning to us, because we're just seeing that there appears to be less of these protesters nowadays, but the ones that are there seem to be more active. Uh, years ago it used to only be opening weekend, now they're out every weekend during the season and they seem to uh, be travelling further you know, across the state, only small groups, but they seem to be hell-bent on trying to create some sort of dangerous situation. Yeah, and that's and that's what we don't want. But Laurie Levy claims also to rather duck shooters. You know, on a number of occasions during the podcast, he said shooters are environmental vandals. Can you tell the listeners some of the initiatives, maybe money spent, man hours put into conservation by Field and Game Australia members and its duck hunters in Victoria? Uh, look, I've had this uh, I've had this discussion with Laurie uh, in the past. You know, I mean, I'll put our record up against. Uh, uh, CAD's record any day of the week, but you know our organisation was all, was formed on the basis of con- conservation, and the state game reserve system we have in Victoria, which is 180 odd state game reserves, uh, a lot of those were partially purchased from hunters' licence fees, and uh, we're the only state in in Australia that actually has has that uh, public state game reserve system. But further than that, I mean, our people have been involved in nest box projects, have been involved in uh, water control structures, removing carp, carp from wetlands, planting trees, um, vermin control, uh, nest box projects. We've got a nest box project down near Geelong that's been going for 24 years, and it's the, the longest continuous uh, research, nest box research project in Australia. Uh, I mean, there's been thousands and thousands of hours uh, put into these projects and it's well documented and well researched. Uh, it certainly is. So Laurie also told me, uh, Rod, that he's a member of Field and Game. Uh, is he in fact a member of Field and Game under his actual name? And if he isn't, wouldn't that possibly be a breach of uh, membership, assuming a false name? Well, you know, if he is a member, he's obviously done it under another name. Uh, so... So if he's done that, we we wouldn't know. But uh, I mean, um, you'd have to question uh, the the ethics of someone who is prepared to go to that length to uh, to become a member of Field and Game. I mean, we've got nothing to hide as an organisation, so I don't see why uh, uh, why he has to be secret about it. Yeah, exactly. No, that's true. Uh, Laurie's also being quoted on my show, Rod, as saying there's more money in nature, wetland, conservation, tourism and photography uh, than there is in hunting. 
Uh, how does hunting ducks contribute economically to regional towns in, say, Victoria, such as Donald? Oh, look, it's huge. Uh, I mean, after years of drought, many of these towns didn't have any hunters visit them during the drought years. And in fact, in some of those years, we, we had no season at all, uh, which uh, the hunters supported. Uh, but uh, since the drought broke, you know, it's been fantastic. You know, people have flooded back to these places and... Uh, just after the, uh, the you know the duck season uh, last year, we got a nice letter from the Donald Chamber of Commerce, you know, just saying that uh, you know all the traders in the town had a fantastic week, uh, you know, on duck opening, and uh, you know they did really well and they're really happy, and that duck hunters are welcome back to their town anytime. So, and we get that sort of uh, feedback from a lot of rural towns uh, across Victoria, particularly in the um, you know the high um, volume hunting areas. That's right. How often, say, would you see uh, on, say, you know, the wetlands, how often would you see people filming, photographers, people from overseas on the wetlands? How often do you see that happen? You don't see them. You simply, look, I've been doing this, this for, you know, 50 years and uh, I've never seen people out in the wetlands other than hunters. And it doesn't matter whether you go out of season or during the season, you just don't see people. And, you know, you've only got to look at surveys done by tourism authorities. They'll tell you that people will not go to places unless there's facilities. You know, people are looking who want to travel out and just, you know, bird watch or take photos. They want to have a five-star hotel there and they want to have facilities. They're not going to go out into a wetland where there's a good chance they'll get bogged or they might stand on a snake uh, or uh, get eaten alive by mosquitoes. Uh, they just don't go to these places. No, you're, that's right. And as I, as I told you before, in ten years, I've never seen anyone in a state forest unless it's a, you know, a bike rider or someone. I've never seen anyone taking photos or doing any of that type of thing. So yeah, it's interesting, that's for sure. But uh, Laurie also claims, uh, Rod, that uh, protesters in CADS have firearms licences. Uh, actually, a lot he did say, and they're actually wit test certified. I mean, do you honestly find that's a lot of the case with protesters? Or, again, just another trumped-up uh, uh, you know, idea from Laurie and Coalition Against Dunk Shooting? Look, I don't know how many there is. We do know there are some. Uh, not many, but we know, we know of some. There might, be, there might be more, but who knows? But, again, that, the only reason they would do that is so that they can legally be in the water uh, before 10 a.m. In other words, they've just done that to get around the legislation, the human safety legislation. So, again, you would have to question their motives if they're prepared to do that to get around the law. Yeah, exactly. If they're, if they're prepared to do that, what else are they prepared to do? If they're prepared to go through the, you know, the arduous process and the and the, you know, of getting a firearms license, all the testing, you know, all the issues that you've got to go through to be, you know, law, licensed law-abiding citizen. Crazy, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a good question. That I mean, uh, I mean, they're not doing it for the right the right motives, and uh, you know, you would really have to question. Uh, why they're only doing that to get around the law. But having said that, if they're in possession of a firearm and they started protesting or doing something, um, you know, on a protest level, uh, they would expose themselves to a lot more serious uh, offences under the Firearms Act by the mere fact that they've got a licence. So Rod, Laurie Levy claims protected species are being shot on the wetland, yet hunters aren't being charged by the DPI for cruelty like CADS protesters are. 
So it indicates to me either it's not happening and hunters are doing the right thing or Laurie Levy is lying to trump up anti-duck hunting support. Well, it's not the case at all. I mean, the reality is that uh, uh, the number of you know, protected species that ever get shot is extremely, extremely low. You know, we've had intense hunter education now for some 30 years through the waterfowl identification test and from active programs from hunting organisations. Out on the wetlands, um, you know, you've got DPI officers, you've got police, uh, you've got people from Parks Victoria who are brought into those weekends. Um, if people were shooting these protected species, as is claimed by Laurie, he would be the first one to have those species in front of a TV camera. The only birds we ever see Laurie get these days are game birds that have been stolen from hunters and we don't see him with any protected species. So the sta- I, I don't see any evidence to support the statement he makes. All right, Rod, Laurie also claims duck shooters uh, have been declining, by, have, or have declined by 80,000 in the last 25 years. So what have we seen in duck hunting numbers and licences, say, over the last few years? Well, Laurie's been making this claim for a long time. Uh, back 25 years ago, we didn't have a licensing system uh, like we currently have. Uh, we don't actually know what the licence numbers were back then. Um, uh, people we speak to in the department suggest it could have been as high as 60,000. Um, so it can't have declined by 80,000. But, but look, there's no doubt it did decline uh, when the waterfowl identification test was brought in. It did drop down. But in the last 10 years game licences in Victoria have increased by 41%. And that's, uh, that figure is from, the, from DPI and it's uh, in the wildlife regulation review that's just going on at the moment. We've seen a massive increase in licence numbers for deer hunting, duck hunting and quail hunting, particularly since the drought broke. And, uh, of course, the other thing that supports this is you look at the... Um, uh, firearm license numbers in all jurisdictions across the country, uh, they've increased. And if you talk to the industry, uh, the firearms industry, um, they've had terrific years in the last three years. Uh, it's a very, very vibrant industry at the moment. And uh, so that really, all that goes against what Laurie says about people dropping out of the sport. And of course, in the last 10 years, we, we've had the uh, New South Wales Game Council formed. Now, that's brought in public land hunting to New South Wales that didn't exist before. And, of course, I think they're up over 20,000 licences now. So, so I mean, everything that he says about licence numbers declining is just wrong. And, and there is good, good information there to support what I'm saying. Absolutely, and you know, Levy also claims you know, the Liberals or Labor Liberals and Nationals don't support duck hunting, yet uh, you know, the DPI have obviously introduced Game Victoria obviously within the DPI. Wouldn't this sort of indicate uh, support for duck hunting? Absolutely. In fact, uh, Liberal, Labor and uh, uh, Nationals in Victoria support duck hunting and uh, have all had policy, uh, positive policies for it. Um, you know, it's easy for him to say that, but it's not what's really happening. I mean, the current government is really starting to come to grips uh, with hunting policy in this state. And, of course, under the previous government, we had, uh, we had support as well. So, so I don't know where he gets that, that from, but it's not what 
uh, is not what is written in the election policies of those parties. All right, uh, Rod, Laurie also quotes the Morgan poll that three in every four Victorians want duck hunting banned. Where does he come up with these stats? And is this a legitimate study or just another you know, study secretly trumped up by the duck hunting protesters? Okay, they did commission uh, the Roy Morgan poll to, to conduct that poll. Uh, but when you go on the website and have a look at that poll, you see very clearly, uh, by the way, the questions are framed and asked that it was a push poll. And uh, and when when you want further information on it, it says uh, it's got two media contacts, and one of those is Laurie Levy. Uh, there's also a uh, disclaimer on that uh, poll on that page, saying that uh, you know basically uh, you know it it's, it needs to have further analysis to be credible, but. There's been a number of other polls done on duck hunting, you know, since then. And every year, you know, the newspapers and radio stations run polls. Uh, there's been numerous ones done on duck hunting. And every time, the support for duck hunting always comes out in front. So, you know, I'm not saying those polls are any more accurate than the Roy Morgan poll, but it does indicate that there are a lot of people that do support duck hunting. Yeah, so I guess that does get to my next question. How do you think duck hunting is thought of by the general public, you know, in Victoria, but around Australia as well? Well, I think it's uh, more accepted now than than perhaps it was a few years ago. The general public wants to know that it's uh, regulated, and and duck hunting in Australia is regulated. It's highly regulated, and of course, people's attitudes have changed a bit too with the. you know, the cooking culture that's out there now and the food culture. People really are getting into this, you know, catch your own, cook your own food concept. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are doing that. And uh, that sort of fits in with the getting outdoors and the healthy lifestyle uh, that's associated with hunting. I think hunting is in a better shape uh, in the public's mind uh, than it was perhaps uh, 15 years ago. Yeah, and often cads are quoting at nauseam, especially on their Facebook page and a few other areas, uh, that the acceptance rate of hunting and shooting of ducks by the general public is only 0.4%, and including you know, dwindling duck hunting numbers. I mean, where do they come up with figures of a 0.4% acceptance of hunting? Yeah, I don't know where they get that, that figure from. Um, I haven't seen that one, but, but yeah, I mean... Anybody who wants to seriously have a look at this, the first thing they're going to do is go and have a look at licence sales. First thing they're going to do is go and have a look at you know, how the firearm industry is travelling. They're going to look at how many licenses. People don't buy licences for no reason. Um, people don't buy a duck hunting licence to not go duck hunting uh, unless you're a CADS protester. But um, the reality is that if you do any sort of research, you will soon understand that uh, the the level of activity uh, with with duck hunting is far greater than what Laurie Levy is suggesting. Exactly, and you'd think if they were protesters, why would they even support even the purchase of a duck hunting license? Well, whatever it takes. Uh, it gets back to what I said before. They'll do whatever it takes to try and. Uh, you know, get their view across. Exactly. Uh, Laurie Levy also claims too, Rod, that DSC employees 
uh, moving over to the DPI to represent Game Victoria being duck shooters. He says this is a major conflict of interest and he is taking it up with the Crime Commission Ombudsman. Why would the DPI put bureaucrats in charge of hunting who don't know the first thing about hunting? And do you think those statements from Laurie Levy hold any legitimate reasoning or will hold any water? No, I don't believe they do because uh, I don't believe there's anything in the Public Service Act that uh, prevents public servants from being involved in legitimate legal activities. And, uh, and of course you want people working in that area who have an understanding of the activity. I mean... I mean, that's no different to any to anything else. I mean, you have people working in the medical industry who are doctors. Well, that's how it should be. So I don't see any difference uh, for hunting. I mean, we want we want uh, scientists and, and public servants and people who who are knowledgeable and trained uh, in in our industry. Exactly, and Laurie also claimed this was quite an interesting one for me, Rod. That he. Uh, again saying he was a member of Field and Game, that he actually got access to the private FGA wetland near Sale. Now, he says one week he got access one week prior to duck opening in 2009 and got access to that wetland. But if he's in fact obviously not a member under his name, wouldn't that have actually been illegal to be on uh, yeah, FGA private property without permission? Yeah, that's interesting he said that. We actually uh, had an illegal entry into that property at that point in time. And uh, uh, we don't know who did it. They uh, uh, destroyed the uh, locks on the gate uh, and went in there. Uh, so, uh, you know, um, I'm not saying that he did that, but uh, it's just interesting. Again, it shows um, the regard he has for other people's property and regard he has for the law um, uh, because that is a private property. And... Uh, and if he and how he how he got in there, I'm sure he wouldn't have got in there legally. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so he also told me on the podcast, and as we spoke before, that he seems that it's it's okay to you know, you know, break laws you know, at their disposal. Now that that is set out by the government when protesting on wetlands. Yeah, you know, as we said, subsequently a woman you know was shot during the 2011 season. Now. Obviously, this is a blatant disregard for the law. And how long before someone gets killed? And how can we educate these people to you know, do it the correct way without possibly putting someone in, in major danger or death? Yeah, look, I don't think you can while the, the penalties are as soft as they are. Until we get serious penalties, I mean, you have a look at the penalties that uh, firearm owners face if they do the wrong thing. I mean, anything with a firearm uh, is usually uh, a jailable offence and and very, very substantial fines. But these people, you know, don't get fined. They might get, you know, $120 or $150 or something like that. Uh, they don't get any penalty whatsoever. It's not treated uh, as being serious by the by the judiciary. But the reality is if someone gets uh, seriously injured or killed, and we all have to go before a coroner, I'm sure a coroner would look at it a lot different. And uh, let's pray to God that that doesn't happen. Exactly. And a lot of, I know last week, CADs were trumping up that one of their protesters uh, got off and I think the DPI had to cover the court costs. I'm sure you heard about that. But what they're not telling you also too, which is if I've got my information correct and you might be able to elaborate, that you know five people were charged and were given actual, uh, uh, what do they call them, um, uh, good behaviour bonds. 
Yeah, well, look, you know, there, there was a number of them have got off, and that's really where evidence hasn't been probably to the standard that the courts require. But, um, I mean, that's why we've been trying to assist hunters uh, to make sure that if they're put in a situation like this that they collect good evidence. We always ask hunters to take a camera with them or have their mobile phone with them with a camera uh, and, uh, you know, really keep good mental notes and, and take notes of what happens afterwards. But, yeah, look, a number of these people who didn't, who did get fined are repeat offenders uh, and have been up uh, many times before. So, um, you know, they are treated differently uh, to first-time offenders. But when you look at the fines that are handed out, they're fairly, uh, fairly minimal. Yeah, it's funny how it can be minimal when someone entering the water Someone's already been shot prior to the, you know, the required time they're supposed to be in there. They get a $120 fine. I mean, we're talking about people's lives here. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, look, it, it really is, is problematic, and it's something we're working hard on to try and uh, turn around. And uh, like I said earlier on in the interview, you know, we know that a number of police officers uh, and uh, DPI and uh, Parks Victoria compliance officers have expressed concern uh, at the level of uh, penalties that are handed out to these people. That's right, and you did make a good point. That's what I tell everyone, especially, you know, for the Victorians, I always say, take a camera. You know, you can buy, like, you know, 150 even cheaper, $200 camera that films beautiful, you know, HD video quality, unbelievably. And uh, it's always good to have something like that on you if you do get into a situation. I mean, I mean most of these people are carrying cameras, so to protect yourself and, and, and to do that, I always say, everyone, carry a camera, carry something that can film, even if it's just your cell phone. I mean, even these smartphones these days film beautiful quality because that may be what comes down at the end of the day that saves, you know, could save someone's life or save your own, you know, firearms licence at the end of the day. No, that's it's so important and... Uh... Yeah, hunters do have to put some effort into that, and you got to uh, put, hunters have to understand that when they, you know, if they ever have to give evidence in court, um, you know, the magistrate uh, he's looking for the, at the quality of the evidence, and uh, that's all he's got to go on. He doesn't know you, he doesn't know the other person. Uh, he's looking at the evidence that's presented before him, and the better that evidence is the better the chance that you, you may uh, assist in getting a conviction. Exactly. And Laurie also claimed in my podcast, uh, Rod, that three out of four duck uh, ducks that are shot fly away wounded. Where would he possibly come up with those types of figures or they're just clearly made up? Yeah, look, that's rubbish. I mean, the reality is there's been extensive research uh, done on this overseas, but not in Australia. We recognise that there is potential for wounding losses in any hunting activity. Uh, and this is recognised, of course, and that's the reason why we have hunter skills improvement and training. I mean, the you know, deer, deer organisations, the Game Council, they run training all the time. In Victoria, we have our um, training at our shotgun ranges, our shooting clay targets. We have our shotgun education program. That's why those things are so important, to make sure that um, you can minimise any potential for wounding. Exactly. And uh, Laurie also claims that there are not any real duck numbers on private land. How would he know how many numbers uh, of ducks there are on private land uh, and how many hunters there are on private land hunting those ducks when he has no access to that information? Yeah, that's interesting. The, there is some information on that in Victoria. Uh, the department do a, a, a mail survey every year and, that, and from that they can tell you what percentage of hunters hunted on public land 
Uh, and what <clears throat> we've noticed over the years, on opening weekend, the majority of hunting is on public land. Uh, but after the opening weekend, there tends to be more activity uh, on private land. And particularly during the drought, when a lot of the public wetlands were dry, there was a lot more activity uh, on um, private land. And you would have seen the, um, the survey that's just come out from the University of Queensland, um, the Australia-wide survey. Uh, in that, there's some figures on uh, public and private land hunting, and private land hunting far outweighs the public land hunting. So uh, I don't know why people would go and hunt on private land if there was nothing to hunt on private land. Um, <laughs> the reality is some of the best uh, duck habitat uh, is on private land, and uh, and that's why hunters go there. That's right, and left untouched too sometimes. Why why wouldn't the ducks be there, huh? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of hunters have relationships with landowners that go back decades, and uh, where they've you know they they go and uh, camp on a farmer's property and hunt the ducks on his property, and quite often share those ducks with the farmer. Uh, these sort of relationships, uh, you know, are long established. And uh, and those people, you know, do the majority of their hunting on on private land. Yeah, exactly. And all right, a couple more uh, questions before we finish off, Rob. But these are probably last two before we finish off. Uh, get my probably juices flowing the most. But yeah, Laurie claims there should be an Olympic standard set for you know duck hunting. You know, around or obviously around Australia, and if. Uh, that was the case, he said, you know, he would walk away from his protesting activities if that was the case. He then goes on to say that the likes of Russell Mark and Michael Diamond wouldn't make the cut because they miss targets themselves, but they are, in fact, Olympic gold medal champions. So, I mean, how does that make sense that Michael and Russell are Olympic champions, yet they wouldn't make the cut for the Olympic standard that he's talking about? Well, what Laurie's saying clearly there is let's put in Olympic standard and then no, there would be no duck hunting uh, because even Russell Mark and Diamond, Russ, uh, Michael Diamond wouldn't make the cut. So that, that's just being cute. He's just trying to, <laughs> uh, you know, he's just trying to, you know, say something that he knows is not possible. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like, how can you be an Olympic champion, gold medalist, there's Olympic standard? I mean, let's say there's 200 out of 200. I mean, yeah, sometimes throughout you know the years, you know, target shooters will hit 200 out of 200, but obviously that's you know, quite a rare thing you know, to be that good all the time. Uh, yeah, so I just thought it was... <laughs> I did have to have a good chuckle about that one. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, that's, that, that's just uh, you know, media... Uh, speak from Laurie in the language they use and uh, you know, people who don't know might think, yeah, that's a good idea, but uh, <clears throat> in the real world it's just not practical. Exactly, and uh, this is a great one. I found probably the last question before we finish off, Rod. Laurie told me and made, you know, made it pretty pretty well known that Russell Markey said and Michael Diamond aren't duck shooters. They don't support duck shooting, and in fact Michael Diamond looks after uh, I guess injured native water birds. And uh, in episode nine, I think it was when I interviewed Russell Mark, he stated to me probably within about you know three to five minutes of the interview uh, that he in fact actually uh, hunted ducks since he was a kid with his dad, and he still hunts ducks to this day on some of the properties that he hunted when he was a kid. So I mean, if Laurie can't even get the basic information like Russell Mark being a you know a, a long time duck shooter, I mean probably for the last thirty years. How on earth could the public even remotely trust anything this guy says? I mean, that's just some basic fact-finding. 
Well, again, now, Laurie never lets the truth get in the way of a good story. The facts are that the majority of clay target shooters are hunters. Also, some of the more elderly shooters uh, who have hunted all their life uh, may give it away and just shoot clay targets because they are physically unable to get out onto the wetlands. But the reality is when you go to a clay target club, a shotgun uh, target club, the majority of people there are people who are hunters or have hunted at some point in point in their life. Um, you know, that's just in the shotgun sports, even the clay target discipline itself, it started out from live bird shooting. That's how it started and uh, then was replaced by targets. And, uh, in fact, the first um, Olympic team uh, the, the, for the 1956 Olympics in Melbourne, the shooting team, they were all live bird shooters. Uh, who, who made it into that uh, that team. So to try and sort of make a, a disconnection between clay target shooting and hunting is uh, erroneous, to say the least. Absolutely. I mean, and all the guys that I... I mean, I, you know, I used to do down the line. I did a bit of uh, skeet and a bit of trap, but just I love the sporting clay. That's pretty much 99, 99.5% of what I shoot. And all the guys that I either have met down, made friends with down at the target range, they're all hunters. And the three friends, or two, two, two actually, yeah, three friends that I hang out with on a regular basis outside of, you know, shooting. Also, you know, uh, hunt as well. They like hunting, you know, rabbits or quail. I've got one one friend that loves the loves going down and hunting the quail. You know, he's also you know back in his native homeland, loves doing it there too. And uh, also another friend of mine who's coming down with me on the uh, ducks on the Riverina in uh, no, early November. So we're all we're all pretty much hunters. Yeah, look, that's one of the things that has changed in recent years. Uh, if you go back 30 years ago, a person was either a duck hunter or a rabbit shooter or a fox hunter uh, or a clay target shooter or a deer hunter, and, and a lot of them didn't cross over. They stayed to that. Nowadays, hunters seem to be more active in all the different aspects of hunting. Uh, yeah, they'll, they'll hunt deer at a certain time of the year, They'll go and hunt ducks at another time. They'll hunt foxes and rabbits at a, another time in the year. They seem to hunters today seem to be into more of the different hunting disciplines. So we have much more crossover. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I totally agree with you, hundred uh, percent. It's just a bit. Honestly, I think it's the best thing that you know happened to me to be able to become a hunter and shooter. I think people sometimes, you know, I've got other friends that you know I grew up with. As I said, during school that, you know, they don't have a problem with me hunting, but it's sort of, you know, it's not their deal. But, you know, obviously, you know, they support it and they don't, you know, they don't have any issue with it as long as we know we're doing it correctly, humanely. Uh, you know, I've never really experienced any, you know, issue coming up against with, you know, I've taken friends, obviously not hunting, but they're, you know, they've come along when I've been in state forest to camp with me and, and uh, you know, see what it's, you know, what it's all about. And they've said, oh, it's not too bad. And, you know, they, they don't really have an issue with it. Uh, one of the things I, I love about this industry uh, that I work in amongst shooters, you know, right around the country, it doesn't matter where where you go, whether it's overseas or in Australia, they're, they're some of the nicest people you're ever going to meet. And uh, I just find that people who are connected to the outdoors and to the land have a much more sort of holistic approach to life and uh, are just some of the best people you'd ever meet. Exactly. All right, Rod. So it was great that you come on my show. Now, if people wanted to, you know, find out more about field and game, uh, yeah, how can they join? Where can they go? What's the uh, phone numbers they can call? The emails? 
you know, they want to join Field and Game or they want to get themselves a game license, how can they go about it? Okay, if they go onto our website, uh, www.fga.net.au, everything they need to know uh, about membership is there. They can join online. If they don't want to join online, they can download a form and then send send uh, a cheque or money order in. Uh, but also on there, there's all the information they'll need to get a hunting licence or to even to get a firearms licence in the various states. There's all the information you need to point you to the various uh, firearm registries and also to the various licensing authorities. Um, really, that's where you'll get all the information you need. And you can sign up for our uh, uh, free uh, email newsletter as well. And we're also on Facebook. Uh, Field and Game Australia on Facebook and uh, if you join up to those you'll get a lot of information about uh, what we do and the sort of activities our members are involved in across the country. Fantastic mate, it's a true pleasure to have you uh, on my show again for the second time Uh, you know it was great that you could come on and just you know debunk you know a few of the theories that Laurie Levy did throw out you know that didn't sit right with me on a previous podcast and as I told you off air too that was yeah, my main reasoning. Some people, you know, misunderstood what I was trying to achieve during that interview, and they thought, you know, I was going to be, you know, on him and, you know, getting aggressive and, you know, and putting him in his place. But that wasn't what I was trying to achieve. What I was trying to achieve was to to get as much information out of Laurie as possible about, you know, obviously what they do at Coalition Against Dark Shooting you know, how they do it, what the protesters are doing, and just get as much information as possible. And a lot of those questions that I did ask you today were, you know, in conjunction of what Laurie did mention on that show that just didn't make sense about, you know, being a member of Field and Game, uh, getting onto wetland, private wetlands that, you know, he you know, really shouldn't have been on and would have been on illegally. And I think the direction was to obviously get you on the show after that, just to, you know, debunk a lot of these theories and, get the real answers of what's really happening you know with coalition against dark shooting and what really and what the our sport is really about and not what you know they're telling the media it's about so pleasure to have you on my show again mate i hopefully i can you know know, things change over the next year too i can get you back on the show and we can you know chat about some more great policies and legislation that are going to happen over the coming years in the hunting and shooting community uh, not a problem, Jason. Thanks very much for that, and thanks very much for the uh, for the opportunity. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.